Welcome to Northridge Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. For more information, visit us online at northridgethomaston.com. Now prepare your heart as we dive into God's Word. Thank you for being here today. I'm excited so much for what God is is doing at Northridge Church, and I have to kind of give you a disclaimer today. I, I hate when I have to do this, but I feel like today I'm literally preaching to the choir. I'm going to talk to you today about giving. When I say that, I realize that many of us automatically shut down, tune out, turn the page, because now yet it's another church talking about money. God's broke, the kingdom's broke, God needs our money. Not true at all. In fact, really, it just flows right in line with the I Love My Church series. Somebody look to your neighbor and say, I sure love the church. Go ahead and tell them. And I, and I believe that it's something we need to talk about. It's something we need to learn. It's something we need to glean. There's so many principles that we had to kind of decipher through as a staff and as a church body to say, what are the irreducible truths that we really need to concentrate on as a church? And we call them our core values. And there are five of them, and we've alliterated them for the sake of remembrance. Call them the five Gs. There's the gospel. We talked about that in week one where the gospel is Jesus Christ crucified, raised again, seated at the right hand of the Father, endued through the Holy Spirit in you and I to be our comforter, our God. The power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me and lives in you. Somebody should say amen right there. But then we talked about this idea of going. And that by the mere fact that there is a living God, the living God, the God of wonders, the ancient of days, the first and the last, Alpha and Omega, the power of the living God lives in me, then there should be a default mechanism for me to go. And as I go, I should be telling people about him. I should be mirroring him as the image. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2. We should have that image in us as we go. And then today, the third one is give. And then the next one, of course, is gather and grow. And we, we want to be growing in the nurture of the Lord. And we want to grow as a church body. We want to go from being a church to being a community to being a family as we live out this thing called our faith. But oftentimes, as we mention anything about giving, we automatically resort to money. And that's only one part of it. There was a uh, story that I heard many, many years ago it's actually somewhat of a poetic parable, and it was a kid's book. It later became a kid's book. It didn't at first because it was rejected as such, and it was written by a guy named Shel Silverstein, and it was written around 1970. It's just called The Giving Tree. The story goes that once upon a time, there was a tree and a little boy. The tree loved the boy, and one day the boy came out to the tree, and he said, boy, climb my trunk, swing from my branches. Pick my apples. And when the boy was tired, he could take a rest in the shade. And when he was active, he could play hide and seek. And the boy loved the tree, and the tree was happy. The boy inscribed on the tree trunk, tree, I love thee. Then one day the boy left after coming for every day, and he was gone this time for two days. And this time when he came back, the tree was so happy, and he, he sprung up, and his leaves blew in the wind, and his, his branches waved to and fro. And he says, boy, try, climb my trunk, swing from my branches, eat from my apples. And the boy said, no, I realize there's more to happiness. I need money. I need money to go out and be happy and do things. Tree, do you have any money? The tree said, no, I don't have any money, but I have apples. Take the apples and go and sell them in the city, and you'll have money. And the boy did, and the tree was happy. The next time, the boy didn't come back for a month. 
As he came out this time, the tree was even more excited than the last time because it had been a while since he had seen him. And he said, boy, climb my trunk and swing from my branches. And the boy said, no, I don't have time for that. I have a family now, and I want to build a house. Tree, do you have a means for me to build a house? He said, take all of my branches and go and build a house. And the tree was happy. This time, the boy stayed gone for a year. And he came back, and <clears throat> the tree was more excited, but the, the boy's head was down. His countenance had fallen. He said, boy, climb my trunk. And the boy said, no, life has been harsh, and life has been difficult. And I feel like what I really need to do is I need to leave this place, and I need to sail to a foreign land. Tree, do you have a boat? Tree said, boy, take my trunk. Make a boat. And the boy did, and he sailed away, and the tree was not really happy. Forty years passed. <clears throat> The boy came back, and as he walked up, the tree said to the boy, he said, boy, I have no trunk for you to climb. I have no branches for you to swing from. I have no apples for you to eat. He said, that's okay. My teeth are brittle, and I can't eat apples. I'm too tired to climb your branches. I'm too old to climb up your trunk. What I really need is I'm just tired, and I want to sit a while. In that moment, the tree in all of his splendor and grandeur, what's left of the trunk, raised himself up as high as he could. And he said, boy, sit a while. Even a trunk, a stump is good for something. See, the story of the giving tree is really a mirror image of Jesus Christ. Who in Philippians chapter 2, Paul wrote about him and said he emptied himself. He literally emptied himself the use of his godly attributes, not only dying for your sin, but becoming your sin, that you would be made the righteousness of God through him. And on that demonstrative act of love on the cross, on the tree that he created, nonetheless, he died for the sin of mankind, giving of himself. And as the story would unfold, we realize that that's really a cross-section, a picture of humanity. That there was a time in his innocence that the boy just loved hanging out with the tree and climbing the branches and eating from its fruit, running around and playing hide-and-go-seat and even resting. But as time went on, money entered the equation and robbed him from the simplicity of just enjoying life. And then he got married and he had children. And in the story, we are able to fill in any the blank as we wish because we don't know if his children moved off. We don't know if his wife passed or if something happened. And, and, but, but life happened. In any case, he was ready to just walk away. Nothing that he thought mattered mattered any longer. And he tried to run, as many do, run from the church and run from God, only to come back in the doxology of his life and find out that really all he ever wanted was just the rest that the tree would offer. See, what I believe to be true today <clears throat> is that's really how we're to reciprocate our love to Jesus, the one who is the greatest instrument of giving the world has ever known. The greatest generosity for God so loved the world, not just loved him, but that definite article so declares over out throughout eternity, unequivocally and unapologetically, that he is madly and passionately in love with you just as you are. And that there's nothing you can do to be pulled from his all-loving, all-benevolent hand. Because when he sees you, he loves you. And there was a great orator, a great evangelist. Interestingly, as I even say those words, I have to kind of look back and say, well, was he really? The guy's name was Brendan Manning. How many of y'all remember Rich Mullen back in the day? 
in the ragamuffin band. Anybody remember Rich Mullen? A couple of, two, three, praise God. Save people in the house. He wrote many a song that Amy Grant sang. He wrote Awesome God. He wrote a lot of songs that other people had sang. And he was a great singer-songwriter. But Rich Mullen had some problems in his life. He was an alcoholic. Oftentimes showing up at church venues to lead worship. And he would be intoxicated. And the horrors of trying to escape the grasp of alcoholism. He encountered a man named Brennan Manning. Brennan was much older than him at the time. And Brennan was... Uh, a priest at one point in time, a Catholic priest, been converted to evangelical Christian and became a, a lay evangelist, if you will. He would spend times in monasteries and monks, living in caves and just literally meditating on the Word of God. But he too had a, had a battle with alcoholism so he and Rich could have a commonality. I tell you that because the interesting part of this is Brendan Manning is one of the most great orators I've ever heard in my life. Just very simple, very authoritative, and just anointed. And yet he had the greatest struggle going on right there in front of him, falling so many times. Yet he said this in one of his greatest sermons he ever preached, that God loves you as you are, not as you should be, because you will never be what you should be. It's all about giving. It's about him giving us life. When the Bible says in Romans 6, 23, that we deserve death. It's about giving us grace. And the Bible says we deserve justice. And if we got what we deserved, there wouldn't be a one of us sitting here today. I want to talk to you about the giving hand of God today. And I want to talk to you about us reciprocating that in our own giving. If you have your Bibles, turn with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I'm going to read a few verses beginning verse 6 and go down to verse 10. The word giving in the context of church, I admit to you, and I imagine every pastor in this room would probably offer you this caveat, as I will today, and that is that the church at large, perhaps televangelists, many people over the years with their heart misplaced, has done a great disservice to the idea of giving in such a manner that they have misappropriated monies and funds and things of that nature. I want you to know today, and I just feel that I need to be transparent with you, that I as a pastor, I am a tither, I give offering, I give way above any 10% that the Lord requires of me, which is holy and set apart unto him. Uh, Our staff is uh, amazing givers. Uh, our, Our deacon ministry, our board of stewards, in fact, I just want to tell you, you can't serve in any capacity at Faith, I mean at Faith Baptist, that's the church I was at for a lot of years. I say that a lot. I apologize. At Northridge Church, if you're not aligned with the scriptures in that context. Now, having said that, there's only two people in our church that knows what anyone in this church gives, and that's Tracy, who's our office manager, and Doug Riddick, who's our CFO. I don't want to know. I don't want to know who gives, what they give, or anything like that, because that's between you and the Lord. But I want to tell you this, every penny, the church tithes as well, 10%. We put it in a faith promise, and we serve other ministries. We outreach. We do a lot of work with that, so we're aligning ourselves with that too. But I want you to hear me today. What I'm about to lay before you, if you'd open your heart, you'll realize that there's something for each one of us today in the context of giving. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, remember this in verse 6. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. So we already know thematically where he's coming from. He's speaking probably to a community of farmers in the context of the subject of what they would have understood. The Bible says that a man should not be deceived. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also what? Reap. 
You sow a few seeds, you're going to reap a few harvests. You sow apples, you're going to receive apple trees, and et cetera, et cetera. So he lays this before him so we know where he's going. He said, a farmer that plants only a few seeds, he's only going to get a small crop. But the one who plants generously, everybody say generously, will get a generous crop. Makes sense, right? Verse 7. You must each decide in your own heart. That's what I was saying a moment ago. It's between you and the Lord. It's not between me, the preacher, and, and, and you, the listener, or you, the layperson, or you, the child of God. It is between you and you alone with the Lord. He says this. He said, you must each decide in your own heart how much you would give. There's an assumption there that you're going to be a giver. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. And God will give generously by providing all that you need. Then, here's the result, you will always have everything you need and plenty left over so that you may share with others. Remember, I've said this many, many times. God never, ever, ever blesses you just with you in mind. If he blesses you, he's got somebody in your downline in mind to be a blessing to. You need to think about that. He doesn't just arbitrarily decide to bless you and bless you and not bless you. It's, it's, a, it's a process and a principle of sowing and reaping. If I sow seeds of faith, I'm going to reap a harvest that's produced by that faith. If I sow seeds of, of gossip, I'm going to probably reap a whirlwind of gossip against my own life. On and on and on. We have to be careful of that. But he says, but as the scripture shares, I should say, as the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides the seed to the farmer and then bread to eat in the same way. Now watch this. He will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity. Look at the words, in you. That is incredibly important that you don't miss that point of in you. Because if you somehow misread that or somehow misappropriate that, you begin to live an idea or a concept of giving to get. I'm going to give so that I can get that hundredfold. I'm going to give 10% so I can walk out of the church waiting for God to rain down those blessings upon me. That is a wrong idea and persona of approach as if you give something so that you can get something. Really, what we want you to look at is you get to give. You get to, to be privileged enough to invest in the kingdom of God. I want to give you three things very quickly that I believe deals with this aspect of our giving that is really going to become a blessing to your life. It's going to open up opportunities. He said, I'm going to give you real resources and produce a harvest in your life. The first of which is giving of your time. You have been given 24 hours in a day. How you use them determines how your life is effectuated in most cases. Now, I'm not suggesting that there aren't things that just happen. Keep in mind, God is still sovereign. Even that is not true. Everything happens. He said a sparrow can't even fall to the ground without my knowing about it, right? He knows what's going to happen. He's preparing you for what's going to happen. But the way that we steward over our time is indicative of the reflection of how we live out our life and how we steward over it. How do you redeem your time? Ephesians uh, says in chapter 5, verses 15 to 16, listen. It says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, redeeming the time for the days are evil. He said, see to it. Make certain, Paul said, that you walk in a, in a manner that circumspectly, redeeming the time. Don't act like a fool, 
Be wise in the context of your time, which speaks to that stewardship. Redeeming the time for the days are evil. Listen, not only are our days numbered, but we are living today in what the Bible says, perilous times. How many of you would believe that? Listen, chaos is ensuing at every turn. It's not just COVID. It's it's financial situations. It's it's empty shelves. It's gasoline prices. Come on, somebody, right? And on and on and on. It's it's who's going to be president? Who's going to be this? Who's going to be that? And God is saying, hey, I get that all that should be in your view, but guess what? You need to understand that I'm the giver of life. I'm the sustainer of life. I'm the goal of life. Nothing happens that I've not allowed. And it's for his good. Now, what we have to understand is how then do we use our time wisely? If you're spending 22 hours a day worrying and in fear and constant anxiety, I promise you, you're not going to produce any fruit of good. That's why he says, I'm not giving you the spirit of fear, but power, love, and of a sound mind. Listen, that's the antithetical side of fear. So when we look at that, he says, see that you walk circumspectly. Now, I've said this many times, but maybe you have never heard me say this, but I'm a deer hunter. I've spent my whole life in the woods, and my son and my dad and I before, I love being out there. And it's interesting because when God first showed me this was many, many years ago as I was sitting in the deer stand on a power line. And I'd seen several small bucks, several does, just kind of just traipse right out in the middle of the woods and look up at me, throw a thumbs up. I mean, it's just goofy, right? But then when you see the big buck, can I just tell you, he didn't get big by accident. Because when he comes to the edge of the opening or the clearing, or just in general, he's very methodical. He'll, He'll walk and he looks. He sniffs the air. Flips his tail, even stomps his his front paw so that he can see if he can provoke movement to see if there's a predator out there because he's always having to be ready, careful, Jimmy, to put his foot only where he wants it to be so that he can live a long and prosperous life. And that's how he gets big and that's how he becomes a trophy and that's why it even matters. But guys, the same is true for you and I. The Bible says that the enemy, the thief, is like a roaring lion waiting to pounce, seeking whom he may what? Devour. It's a predatory story. And I see people walking haphazardly through life as if there's no enemy, if there's no consequences to our sowing that plays out in what we reap. And they're just walking through life and there's not a care in the world. And you may look at them and go, man, I want to be like that. No, you don't. No, you don't. See, living for Jesus, I'm going to go ahead and tell you. Let me go ahead and break it to you. It's going to be the hardest thing you do in this life. But I'm going to tell you something. If you're careful where your foot trods, where your mind goes, what your eyes see, and what your words say, and live your life circumspectly, realizing the days are numbered, the days are evil, and understand that it's a redemption of time. Do I spend time talking about Jesus? Or do I spend time promoting and posting menial things on social media? It was said in the 80s that the average young person was watching somewhere on average of six to eight hours of television per day. Now, that encompassed everything from summer to Saturdays to Sundays or what have you. I used to think TV was bad, right? Well, now they're spending 10 to 12 hours on their phone because it's right there for them to, at their calling, right? It's right there. We keep it right there on us. And if and, and again, take this for what it's worth. Parents, do what you will. Grandparents, I mean, listen, if you don't understand that there's an algorithm out there on social media to destroy our kids, you better do your homework. 
And, and if, you're, if, if, if your mere time with your child is uh, goodbye, have a good day at school, I sit down, it's time to eat, go do your homework, go to bed, then you're not even redeeming the time with them because I'm telling you to be gone before you know it. Now, my kids are like old. Old, old. Yeah, I'm talking in here to, to the guys in the band a moment ago, and I said, yeah, Stephanie and I got married, and we got married in 1989. Uh, every one of them looked at me and goes, we weren't even born. What? But I had people tell me that when I was raising my children. You better enjoy these days. They'll be gone for you. know what I'm like, it can't happen quick enough, <laughs> you know. And now they're gone, and I want them to come back. I mean, not to stay, you know, like spend the night and then go home. You know what I'm saying? Come on, somebody testify. Watch. But I love the fact that in giving of my time, there's really two main things that God has given me. Real quickly, one is prayer. Guys, if you're not starting your day out with prayer, you're not starting your day out shielded in the love and the protection of a holy God. That's what he says in Philippians 4. He says, be anxious for nothing. Boy, that'll preach, won't it? But in everything, everybody say everything, say everything. Don't worry about nothing, but pray about everything, right? Through prayer and supplication. Supplication, I love that because we blow right past it. Really, it means begging. You've done some begging, haven't you, Stacey? Begging God. I'm going to tell you, you don't, you don't really know the power of God until you have laid before him and just begged him to move. With thanksgiving in our hearts, let our requests be made known unto God. He wants to hear what your petitions are, right? You have not because you're what? Because you ask not. And... As you're praying in those things, the peace of God which passes understanding is going to be given back to you and it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, as I'm praying, peace is granted back to me. As I'm crying out, why can someone who's crying out for God to move lift their hands in praise and adoration? Because God gives them a peace that passes understanding. That means it doesn't even make sense that you have peace and somehow it's given to you. When you, when you have that, I'm going to tell you something. You love from a place of peace. You'll be a better husband, a better wife, a better mom and dad, a better child, a better student of the word, and a better child of the most high God. When you have peace in your life, everything else doesn't cloud it. He said, don't be anxious for anything, but pray for everything. Prayer will change your life. And if you're sitting here today and you go, well, Pastor Mark, that sounds amazing, but I have to leave the house at 5 o'clock. I don't have time. I have to get up at 4.30, Mark. You just don't understand. Can I just tell you something? Get up 10 minutes earlier, and it will change your life. 10 minutes is not going to change how tired you are, but it will change how spiritually blessed you are. I, I, I just believe with all of my heart, prayer changes everything. Can I tell you also in the line of prayer? Please allow your prayers to be more than a monologue where you're the only one talking and then you just flippantly throw out a Jesus name I pray, amen, and get up and move. Have you ever thought that God may have something he wants to say back in the moment? I, I was told by Pastor Johnny Hunt many years ago that when you pray and you make all your petitions, you know, whether it's good as God is great, God is good, or whatever the case may be, or now I lay me down to sleep, boom, 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 in Jesus' name I pray, and then you're done, hop in the bed or make your way to work. What would it look like if you allowed for a monologue? Many people say, I don't hear the voice of God. Maybe it's because you're not listening. Pray, and then say this. I want you to say this in your prayer life from here on out, and watch what happens. 
When you get through praying, before Jesus' name I pray, amen, throw this in there. All right, God, your servant is listening. Speak. (laughs) You know what we want to do? God, your servant is speaking. Listen. (laughs) That's what we want to do. But you need to listen and hear him. And then get a pen and write it down. That's why people journal. Write down. Dear Mark, I am saying this to you. Love Jesus, right? Do that. And if that's not it, here's what I do. I don't, take, I don't do the journaling. Here's what I do. When I get through praying, I say, Lord, your ser-, I say it every day. Lord, your servant is listening. Speak. And then, I, this may not be normative. It may not work for you. Your family may think you're crazy. But here's what I do. I start speaking out loud what I feel God is speaking into my heart. Sometimes it's a sentence, sometimes it's a paragraph, sometimes it's a dissertation. And then when he's done, nothing else comes to my mind. I pray that that works for you. It may not. I will say this, just like Elijah said, remember? When he, when he ran and he hid himself as, as, as uh, Jezebel was chasing after him, he went into the mountain in the cave, and the Bible says the storm came by, but God was not in the storm. The winds blew, and he was not in that, and all these things were happening that were loud, but then it says, but then came the what? Still small voice of God. Can I call it this? A whisper. And to hear a whisper, a couple of things have to be in place. One, you have to be close. Secondly, you have to be listening, and you got to be quiet. Somebody say amen. All right, real quickly, here's another one. Somebody's going to need to hear this. Not only prayer is our way, but praise. Use your time to praise the Lord. That's what I was talking about a moment ago. Let me give you a couple of things. Praise will make a way for God to fight for you. He's your vindicator. Let him fight your battles. I love that song. This is how I fight my battles. How do I fight them? On my knees in prayer, knowing he's the one that's going to deal with it. And I'm going to tell you something. When God God throws a punch, people feel it. Okay, He's our vindicator. Don't feel bad that you're asking God to vindicate you. Now, you got to be careful here. Um, You don't want to pray harm on someone else. You just want to pray that God will deal with them according to his sovereign will. 2 Chronicles uh, 20, 22 says it this way. Now... When they began to sing to praise the Lord, he set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. It's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He'll fight for you. Secondly, praise will usher in God to protect you. Psalms 5 and 11. He says, but let all who take refuge in you, Lord, rejoice. Let them sing joyful praises forever. Spread your protection over them. The inference there is like an eagle. It kind of aligns with Psalm 91. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall be abide under the shadow of the Almighty. It's a picture of a mother eagle protecting from the storm that's ensuing for the, for the baby eagles. What do, you, what do you call them? Eaglets? What do you call them? Nobody knows? Okay, baby eagles. All right. Praise makes a way for God to refresh you. I don't want you to raise your hand. I don't want you to raise your hand, but I want to ask you rhetorically. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, need refreshing? Praise the Lord for refreshing that comes from the Lord. It's called soul rest. I'm not talking about physical rest. I'm talking about that soul rest. Psalms 28 and 7, he says this, The Lord is my strength. How many of you can testify to that, right? He is my strength and he is my shield. Some places calls him his buckler. He, he's tying it all together. Watch this. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore, my heart will greatly rejoice and with my song, I will praise him. I love when the psalmist says, I cried unto the Lord and he heard me and he leaned unto me and he heard my cry and he pulled me out of a horrible pit and out of the clay and he set my feet upon a rock and he put a what? A new song in my mouth. 
Fourthly, not only that, he will praise is our gift back to God. Hebrews 13, 15 and 16, he says, Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. When was the last time you just said, thank you, Jesus, and let him fill in the blank? Just thank you, Jesus. You're just, you're amazing and you're worthy. Praise makes my troubles a little bit smaller. Mark, how is that possible? Colossians 3 and 2 says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. God sent me here today to tell somebody, you need to start looking at life through a heavenly perspective. It's not what you see. It's not what you see. you got to put on the mind and the eyes of Christ to look to, to things through the lenses of God's holiness and God's timing, which is, by the way, perfect. He says, take your affection off the things above, below and place them, turn them to the things of heaven. And I promise you, it will change your perspective. And then lastly, real quick on the things of praise. We're talking about using our time. Praise sets the stage for the miraculous. Please don't tell me today that you don't believe in miracles and that you don't believe that God is a miracle-working God. I can testify and stand here today that in 1994, I had Crohn's disease. I was crying out to God. I had lost down to about 148 pounds. I couldn't eat. I couldn't drink. I couldn't even hardly stand up. And, and I laid on my face over LaGrange, Georgia, at 104 Civil Road in LaGrange, Georgia. And I laid and I cried out to God. And he healed me. And it never came back. And it never will because what God heals and what God says is settled. It's yes and amen in him to the glory of God the Father. <laughs> Acts 16 says it this way in verse 25, but at midnight, Paul and Silas, midnight, by the way, represents the darkest hour. He says at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. They were, they, by the way, they were shackled to the wall in a Roman prison. Watch this. And they prayed and they sang hymns to God. <laughs> and the prisoners in the prison were listening to them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately the doors were open, and everyone's, everyone's chains were loosed. You can praise yourself out of bondage that you have found yourself in. And I'm going to tell you something. If you have never praised so hard that the walls begin to shake, I'm talking spiritually, then you're not praising God the way he's worth let me tell you something. It will change everything when you praise him that way. Secondly, not only our time, we do have to give our tithes. But I'm going to throw up giving quotations. Do you know why? Because there's nowhere in Scripture that the word giving is used in the context of your tithe. You can't give God something that already belongs to him. Again, hear me and hear my heart. I, I, I do this with fear and trembling, but I do it without apology because it would change your life. It is in Leviticus chapter 27 around verse 28 or 30 where God said this, I have called a tithe, which means one-tenth, to be separate and holy, set apart unto me. It's mine. And know this, he owns the other 90%, but he's letting you keep it. Know that, know that we don't pass the plate. We don't. I, I don't discredit anyone that does. That's between them and the Lord. I just, we had an aha moment, didn't we, Dave? During, during COVID, we were like, we're not going to pass the plate anymore. And, and that's our response, that we didn't do it for some spiritual reckoning. We're just not going to pass the germs anymore, right? We'll send them down here. And, and we even notioned, we said, well, people get up and come. Do you know that tides have gone up? 
since that happened. And it also gives people the liberty, the freedom, and the expectation that they're going to get out of that seat and come to the Lord. And it's bringing it. Say, Mark, does it have to be done in open? No, it doesn't have to be done in open. But it is a style of worship. That's why I said let's continue to worship the Lord in the area of our giving. Here's what we found to be true. We go back to Scripture and we realize, why were we passing the plate anyway? To take offering? It's not my job to take offering. Whether you give or don't is between you and the Lord. But I promise you this. He tells us in Malachi chapter 3, and buckle up. Look to your neighbor and say, hold on. This was going to get fast. Go ahead. Listen to what he says. Will a man rob God? Question from God. Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way, God, have I robbed you? His response, in tithe and offerings. You are therefore cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. So there's the word. He doesn't say give. He says bring. Everybody say bring. So bring all your tithes into the storehouse that there may be food or sustenance in my house. Capital M, not, not Mark's, not Northridge, my house. And then he says something that profoundly rocked me when I realized it. He says, hey, you don't think I'll do it? Try me in this. Try me in this area and see if I won't open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing upon you that you will not even be able to contain. Try me. He doesn't say that anywhere else. In fact, in fact, when Jesus was tempted by the enemy, remember? He said, throw yourself off of this high pinnacle and, and, and your father God, he'll send angels to collect you. He said, you shouldn't tempt the Lord thy God. You shouldn't try him. And yet in Malachi chapter three, he says, try me, try me. I, I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people who says, Mark, I need financial help. And I go, well, me too, sit down. And I say, hey, are you tithing? Just curious, because I don't know who is and who isn't. No, I, I can't afford to. And then I have to give it a minute because if I come back too quick, it sounds like I'm being ugly. But then I look at him and go, you really can't afford not to. It's already the Lord's. And the truth is, is it's just a matter of stewardship. Now, if, if you're sitting here today, let me go ahead and offer you. Hey, I, I'd be, I would be wrong as a pastor if I threw this out here and you walked out of here feeling defeated. I had three people in the first service who came up to me after, after the service and, and they want to get Pastor David's number. Because, listen, I'm not all things to all people, okay? That's not my forte. I mean, thankfully, Stephanie and I have been blessed because we've tithed and been given offerings our whole marriage. Much credit to her early in our marriage. But David spent uh, the last several years understanding the principles of God's Word through the Dave Ramsey and Financial Peace University. How many of y'all have been through that, by the way? Now, 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 put your hands down. How many of y'all have been liberated from those teachings? Yeah, it's, it's there. It's just a principle. It's an if then. So if you need help there, go talk to Pastor David. He'd be glad to help you. He'll be out front after the service. But hear me, but hear me. I remember, now my mother was always a tither, even when my father wasn't. I remember her talking about it. But when I, when I left home and I saw our checkbook, because I was managing the, managing the checkbook before Desert Storm, when I came back, Stephanie was managing. That means now I get an allowance, by the way. And I, I remember sitting in our little house over on O Street, a little three-room house, now, my family, Stephanie's family, would have done anything for us. Uh, matter of fact, Julie's back there. I'm, your dad bought us a kitchen table. I mean, we, was, we were struggling. Anybody ever struggle? Anybody ever just struggle? Let me tell you. Now, again, I could have called my mom and dad, but I wanted to do it my own self. And I remember looking in there in the cupboard or whatever you call it, pantry. And there wouldn't be any food in there. And we're like, we, we're going to make it work. We're going to figure it out, whatever. I remember vividly Stephanie sitting at that little wooden table 
It was crooked too, y'all. When she write on it, it just jumped. And I remember her writing out the tithe check to Mountain View Baptist Church where we were attending. And I, let's just say if it was 500, I don't know what it was, $500, so she's writing $50. And I, and I came over her shoulder and I noticed she had tears in her eyes and I, and I remember the conversation, she might not remember this, but I remember the conversation and I said, babe, listen, God, that's what I said, God knows your heart. He knows you wanna give, but baby, we gotta pay our bills. We gotta pay our house payment, we gotta pay our car. Come on, somebody, y'all with me? And then, you know, she, you know what she said? She said, Mark, if I give it to God first, he just somehow makes the math work out. And guys, I cannot tell you how many times we gave and get down to the bottom and it might have said negative $17. And then all of a sudden, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. Something happened and it's like, boom. I mean, I, t- I cut wood, right, mom? I cut, I cut wood for for people and, and would buy Christmas. I mean, we worked hard. Don't, don't mistake me. This is not some miraculous little measure. You tell, oh, I'm going to give and then just sit back. No, listen, once again, you got to redeem your time. You got to work hard. Look to somebody and say, you got to work hard. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says if man doesn't work, he ought not eat. That's what God says about it. I digress. Um, listen, I know what you're thinking. How can I rob God in not giving of a tithe from something that belongs to me. Well, it's just that. It's a misconception. Not only has he set the 10% apart as holy. Can I tell you something? The sooner you realize in life that he owns you who were bought with a price. He owns your marriage. You entered into a three-way covenant before a holy God. He owns your children. You are merely a steward over them, meant to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And one day, you're going to send them forth into life to live a life that's reflective of that glory. Listen, he owns this house. He owns the cattle of a thousand hills. He owns the white house. He owns the brown house. He owns everybody as far as the east is from the west. It's all his. You don't own any of it. But he lets you keep 90%. 10% is holy unto the Lord. Set aside. For those of us that would be sitting there say, yeah, Mark, I've been in church a while, though. That's under the law. Not really. In Genesis chapter 14, Abraham, before the law, gave a tenth to Melchizedek, a high priest, before the law. Jesus mentions it in the New Testament. Jesus spoke more about money in the New Testament than he did about heaven and hell combined. Why? I think, my opinion, I think it would be the level of disconnect in which we will live out our life. Most of us don't tell our money where to go. Our money has told us where it's gone. And we sit there looking with this heap. God never intended that for his children. In fact, he said, I would that you owe no man anything but to love him. Can you get out of debt? Can you, can you do it God's way? Everybody hold up one finger. I'll wait. Everybody, give him your first. Give him your best of your time and of your tithe. And then lastly, and I'm done, give him your talent. Give him your gifts. Mark, I don't really have any gifts. Well, you're probably a very humble person to say that. And that's a wonderful gift because that's how I have to approach God in the first place. I'm not going to read this. I'm just going to finish it this way. Matthew chapter 25. It's a parable of the talents. Master goes away and he leaves one servant with five bags of silver. He leaves the next servant with two bags of silver. And the third servant with one bag of silver. And he gave it to them as he saw fit. He knew. 
He goes away for a long trip and he comes back to receive back what is his. So the one with five bags says, Master, I have the five bags that you gave me, but I've earned five more. 100% return. He gives him back 10 bags because he wanted to give the master something to show proof of his stewardship. The one with two bags, he said, good master, I I, I took the two that you gave me. I invested it and I earned two more. 100% increase. Here's your four bags. But the one who had one, he said, oh, master, I knew you were a harsh man. I knew that you had reaped where you had not sown. And I knew you would come back and judge me. So I hid the bag. I dug a hole. I put it in it. I've now dug it up. Here's the bag that you gave me. I'm returning it to you. And he says, take that man and throw him out into outer outer darkness where there'll be a wailing and gnashing of teeth. The other ones, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter in to the joy of the Lord. But he told this one, depart from me. I never knew you. Now, this is a parable. So what do we glean from this? Here's what we glean from this. As a child of God, how many of you are saved, born again, washed in the blood of Jesus? Your default mechanism is to give him you. What does he want? He wants you. How much of you does he want? He wants all of you. Give him your talent. If you think they're minimal, good. Paul said in his letter to the Corinthian church, he said, everybody has a part to this story. It's called the body of Christ. And every part can't be a hand. That would be a goofy-looking body. Every part can't be a mouth. Everybody can't sing. Everybody can't play. Everybody can't preach. Everybody can't do what you can do. You are the only one in the world that can do what you're called to do. That's your gift, whatever it may be. And he says, even the most insignificant parts of that body become the greatest pieces. If I took a 5,000 puzzle piece and threw it out over here for all of y'all to bring me a piece and let's put the puzzle back together. Oh, we'd find the corner pieces quickly because we can see them, the edgy pieces, right? The side pieces, the pieces with the tree. What about that little uh, indiscriminate piece in the middle of the puzzle? And we bring all the pieces back together, 5,000 pieces, and we put them together. But there's one little tiny piece missing. Then the picture's incomplete. You have a piece to this story. And it's in your gift. It's in your talent. And it's in what God has called you to do. What does he want? He wants all of you. He wants your time. Redeem it. If you've never known this before, let me be the bearer of the news. We're living in borrow time. Borrow time. When, when do you really know that? When things happen that go out of our control. Borrow time. No, not Mark, not David, not Tyler, not Pastor Cody or anyone else on this staff. The church is not broke. In fact, God has blessed us immeasurably this year. I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. You guys are incredibly generous. But maybe you're struggling with that. Just know that a tithe is holy. It's the tenth. It's God's plan. We just have to honor it, bring it, return it to him. And watch him bless you. That's his promise. He said, try me. And then lastly, lay yourself at his feet and say, here I am. Use me. Thank you for joining us today at Northridge Church. We hope today's message inspired you in your walk with God. We hope you take your next step by connecting with us online at northridgethomason.com.